Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, good afternoon. Welcome in. I'm Kathy Emmons from the Word FM studios, sitting here on my own in this room because my on-air partner, John, taking a day off. Here's the thing. It's not just a day off. The man's at the beach. And I know that for a fact because he had the nerve to send me a photograph. Now, good thing it wasn't a video with sound because that would have really been over the top. But, yeah, it's a confirmation that he is where he said he was going to be. And uh, that's a long, long way from here. But I'm so happy that you are along today because we have a terrific show ahead of us today. Some really wonderful guests with some great conversation ahead. Um, But before we get into any of that, I want to say that usually at this time um, in the ride home, we present the top four at four, right? It's like us kind of a rundown of the daily news stories. But in lieu of that today, as we continue to remember Saturday's 20th anniversary of 9-11, I want to do something a little different. Something fitting for these days of reflection on such a day, such an experience, such an era in the life of the nation. So on Saturday, just a couple days ago, at the Flight 93 Memorial in Shanksville, not 80 miles from where I sit right now, Family and friends of the fallen met to honor their loved ones. And to this assembled group of mourners, former President George W. Bush delivered one of the finest speeches in recent memory. Now, time won't permit us to hear it all in its entirety, but I do have some clips for you as we continue to honor the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So before we do anything else and without further ado, here's former President George W. Bush in Shanksville on Saturday. For those too young to recall that clear September day, it is hard to describe the mix of feelings we experienced. There was horror at the scale, there was horror at the scale of destruction and awe at the bravery and kindness that rose to meet it. There was shock at the audacity, audacity of evil and gratitude for the heroism and decency that opposed it. In the sacrifice of the first responders, in the mutual aid of strangers, in the solidarity of grief and grace, the actions of an enemy revealed the spirit of a people. And we were proud of our wounded nation. In those fateful hours, we learned other lessons as well. We saw that Americans were vulnerable, but not fragile that they possess a core of strength that survives the worst that life can bring. We learned that bravery is more common than we imagined, emerging with sudden splendor in the face of death. We vividly felt how every hour with our loved ones was a temporary and holy gift. And we found that even the longest days end. Many of us have tried to make spiritual sense of these events. There is no simple explanation for the mix of providence and human will that sets the direction of our lives. But comfort can come from a different sort of knowledge. After wandering long and lost in the dark, many have found they were actually walking step by step toward grace. Former President Bush then turned his attention to contemporary America. 
There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. In the weeks and months following the 9-11 attacks, I was proud to lead an amazing, resilient, united people. When it comes to the unity of America, those days seem distant from our own. Malign force seems at work in our common life that turns every disagreement into an argument and every argument into a clash of cultures. So much of our politics has become a naked appeal to anger, fear, and resentment. That leaves us worried about our nation and our future together. I come without explanations or solutions. I can only tell you what I've seen. At a time when nativism could have stirred hatred and violence against people perceived as outsiders, I saw Americans reaffirm their welcome to immigrants and refugees. That is the nation I know. At a time when some viewed the rising generation as individualistic and decadent, I saw young people embrace an ethic of service and rise to selfless action. That is the nation I know. This is not mere nostalgia. It is the truest version of ourselves. It is what we have been and what we can be again. 20 years ago, terrorists chose a random group of Americans on a routine flight to be collateral damage in a spectacular act of terror. The 33 passengers and seven crew of Flight 93 could have been any group of citizens selected by fate. In a sense, they stood in for us all. The terrorists soon discovered that a random group of Americans is an exceptional group of people facing an impossible circumstance. They comforted their loved ones by phone, braced each other for action, and defeated the designs of evil. These Americans were brave, strong, and united in ways that shocked the terrorists, which should not surprise any of us. This is the nation we know. That's former President G.W. Bush, Saturday in Shanksville, as we remember 9-11. Up next, Greg Clugston, live from the White House, on the Monday edition of The Ride Home. WORD. You're listening now, so we know you're a fan of the radio station. I am a big fan. And we want you to know that we appreciate you. I can be your number one fan. That's why we've developed the Word FM Fan Club. It's free to join, and once you do, you can take part in exclusive surveys and contests. Yeah, I love contests. Special offers. Great giveaways. Discounts. Freebies. I'd like to win one of these contests. Become a member today. Go to wordfm.com slash fan club and sign up. We're big fans. As Joe Sweeney's plane left the tarmac and the Taliban rolled into Kabul, America's longest war was at an end. 
After years of working with our Afghan allies, the questions persist. Was it worth it? And what will the future be for those who remain? Salem Media presents An Evening with Joe Sweeney at Christ Church at Grove Farm in Sewickley. This Friday from 6 to 8.30 p.m. An hors d'oeuvre mixer followed by a moderated panel discussion with Joe featuring John Steigerwald and Kathy Emmons. Get tickets now at wordfm.com. Sponsored in part by Veteran Plumbing and Peace, Love, and Little Donuts. Pumpkins, 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 and more pumpkins. Pumpkins are what the Springhouse is thinking about this time of year. Hi, it's me, Marcia, from the Springhouse, and we love sharing our farm with you during this beautiful time of year. We've got all kinds of fun planned for you and your family to be able to spend the whole day on our farm. Pumpkin patch hay rides, a petting zoo, giant square bale stack and pipes for sliding, a hay maze and a corn maze, pumpkin picking right out of the field, old time games under a tent up on the hill, and lots more. And when you get hungry, of course, we have great eats inside, too, with lots of pumpkin creations. Pumpkin pie, pumpkin cookies, pumpkin bread, pumpkin custard, and even pumpkin black bean chili. Every October Saturday features a family-friendly meal, and October Sundays feature our 4-H hog roast with all the fixins. Plan to spend a memory-making day on the farm at the Springhouse in 84 PA, 724-228-3339 or springhousemarket.com. When it comes to higher education, it's worth considering a Christian university or college, one that reaffirms students' faith instead of tearing it down. Research shows that students who attend a Christian college can become significantly more committed to their faith, and that's an important investment to make. You care about the type of people who are teaching the classes and about the content of the courses just as much as you do about the strength of the academics. It matters that Christian faith is supported and shared. Find out about many schools at once by attending the free Christian College Fair with representatives of colleges and universities from across North America. Start planning now. Take advantage of the opportunity to meet with representatives from top Christian colleges throughout the country. Learn about financial aid, scholarship opportunities, and more. Take your first step to a Christian college education at Orchard Hill Church in Wexford, Saturday, September 25th from 11 to 1. That's the Pittsburgh Christian College Fair, Saturday, September 25th at Orchard Hill Church in Wexford from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Well, it's a Monday. It is about 4.10, and that means that we've got a conversation with Greg Clugston live from the White House ahead of us. Greg Clugston is the SRN News White House correspondent. Greg, welcome in, my friend. Thank you, Kathy. Good to see you and be back. Happy to see you, Greg. Okay, so it's it's no uh, big shock that there's a lot going on, right? It seems like that's every single week that we talk. But uh, the vaccine mandate uh, that the president announced certainly causing ripples all over the nation. Yeah, it is. Just like a lot of announcements and pronouncements out of Washington, mm, yeah. D.C., depending on where you stand uh, politically is how you're going to view and receive these kinds of announcements. And so obviously with the president saying, look, we uh, he wants that he's taking the action of directing federal employees as well as ordering these companies that have 100 or more employees to vaccinate their workers. And um, we're, we're getting some early polling in. And of course, polling can be divisive as well, whether or not you believe the results of pollsters. But s- some pollsters are, are showing that there there is um, there is majority support in the country right now. Uh, for these kinds of vaccinations um, requirements the president is calling for. At the same time, 
Um, a lot of people, um, a lot of conservatives, libertarians and others are concerned about freedom issues and feel that it's an overreach by the government and that there's co coercion involved here. Uh, the, the White House and proponents or backers of this idea say, look, it's a public health uh, it's a public health uh, directive sure. that's designed to protect the health of the American people. So that's where we stand right now. And that's why you've got people on both sides. So what you're saying is that people are divided. I think that's a pretty. <laughs> well, we're, we're breaking new ground here on the right home. No, I mean, it's just yeah. it's a symptom of it's just a, the newest symptom of what we see all over the place. Right. Which is that you've got people who are going to come out and say, yes, I support this one thing. And then you're going to have people who are exactly on the opposite spectrum who are going to speak loudly and proudly that they don't agree. And I, I just I, I'm not sure what our path forward is trying to come up with public policy that meets the needs of most Americans. It's a difficult task. It, no, it is. You're absolutely right that it's difficult. And, you know, the current administration will say, look, if you look at the effectiveness of the vaccine, right. uh, their argument is that it shouldn't be as divisive as it is. Um, and, and they'll point to, you know, school, you know, school kids have gotten vaccinated for all sorts of uh, things over the years. And it, and it typically hasn't been a problem at the scale that it is with COVID-19. So it's been frustrating for people uh, who feel that, you know, there is a health benefit here, but it's also frustrating for those who have uh, strong feelings the other direction. Right. So th the president said uh, when he announced the mandate, um, there were there was a response saying, well, you know, there are going to be s certain states that are going to, you know, make their statement that they're not going to go along with this. And his response was, bring it. Is he still adopting the same response? Yeah, he okay. is. That he he said, have at it. He said, look, uh, there's there's going to be legal action. That's fine. We we're going to we're going to go forward. That still remains an open question, though, Kathy, as to the constitutionality of this uh, of this directive by the president. Now, he does have the authority uh, to to issue some, you know, some people believe that he has the authority, obviously, with the federal workforce, uh, although there may be some who, who would uh, who would even balk at that. But when it comes to directing private companies, uh, of 100 employees or more to require vaccinations, um, there are any number of people who think that uh, that may not hold up from a legal standpoint. And so that's probably going to be the next chapter, the next fight that we're going to see in response to the president. And that's going to come from various states and various uh, organizations. And the White House, uh, they believe, at least right now, that they're on firm legal footing, and we'll have to see if they're right. Greg Clugston with us, SRN News White House correspondent. We are streaming live. If you'd like to watch the show, go on YouTube, go to The Word Pittsburgh, and you can see both Greg and I there. All right, let's talk about some upcoming uh, congressional deadlines. Um, I see here that the House left for its August recess without completing action on renewal of several things, including the eviction moratorium. Um, so is that number one on the list, or what's Congress going to hit first? It's on the list. It's not number one, uh, to my knowledge, because uh, coming up at the end of September is the end of the government's fiscal year. So the budget is coming to an end. You know, what was budgeted last year is running out and a new budget is required October 1. Uh, and I think you know where this is headed, Kathy. Yep. Uh, the two me. words that we, <laughs> we talk about every year, it seems, at least the threat of a government shutdown. And that's what is at stake. So right. you talked about how uh, members of Congress left for recess last month. Um, the House isn't due back until next week. The Senate is, is just coming back this week. 
and that only leaves them really a few legislative days here in Washington, D.C. to get things done by the end of September. Now, if uh, you know, we look at what has happened in the past and what they've done is they've they've passed a temporary budget stopgap mm-hmm. to say, OK, we're not going to make the deadline. Let's just agree to uh, sort of kick the can for two more months and that'll give us some more time to come up with the budget. That's likely going to happen. But on top of that budget deadline at the end of September, there's also an early October or mid-October deadline. There's no specific date given for the debt ceiling to be raised by the United States or the U.S. would default on some debts. And so that is also coming crashing down. And as you might imagine, there's not uh, agreement over how to deal with no, Thanks. of course not. So people are going to see the debt ceiling as something that's just part and parcel of contemporary, you know, governing and other people are going to see it as, you know, forsaking our national honor. It's going to be hard to find a middle ground there as well. Uh, what about- it is. And then, Go ahead. and then on top of those deadlines, Kathy, you've got um, obviously Democrats pushing for their huge infrastructure uh, agenda from President Biden. Uh, Democrats want to spend as much as three and a half trillion dollars on that. And that's separate from the bipartisan uh, package that already passed. So there is a lot that the the lawmakers who are just back from their recess have to tackle. Oh, what about the eviction moratorium? What do you hear about that? Well, uh, there's there's sort of a mixed bag on that. We uh, you know, there were some states that were saying um, we we want to um, move forward on on keeping keeping that in place, obviously, because. The economy hasn't rebounded to the degree that we you know would keep a lot of people, right. uh, you know, back to work and in their homes and all the rest. There are others who were saying, well, look, we've got all kinds of job. There are millions and millions of job openings in this country. And, uh, we, you know, there are there are opportunities for people. And then landlords have had to endure exactly. a, a good part right. of the pandemic without getting their payments so that they can pay their bills. Right. So. It's hard to know where that's going to go because uh, the administration, the White House, doesn't always agree with some Democrats in Congress on this particular issue, which always is very interesting when you've mm-hmm. got those intra-party differences. Sure. Greg Clugston with us, SRN News White House correspondent, talking about the latest from inside the Beltway. Um, I see today that Afghan refugee flights have been halted temporarily for a reason, I guess, that we shouldn't be surprised at based on our COVID-19 circumstance, but it's another virus. Yeah, measles this time. And so this announcement came uh, late last week, I think on Friday. And uh, so the flights that are inbound to the United States with Afghan refugees have been temporarily paused. They've been halted because there were uh, several cases of people arriving in the States with measles. And so uh, they've put a a halt to that until they can, um, you know, obviously, These people are screened, but they somehow got through the screening process. And so as of today, the White House confirmed that this is going to be at least a seven day um, stoppage on these inbound flights with refugees. And then after a week, we'll have to see what the announcement is. Okay. All right. Well, that's a lot of wisdom, I think, that we can all endorse. Uh, So 9-11 anniversary was Saturday, Greg. Um, Before you came on, I shared some excerpts from uh, President G.W. Bush's address, uh, you know, 80 miles from here at Shanksville on Saturday. Uh, one of the great speeches I can remember uh, in recent memory, uh, really a, a beautiful, not just honoring of those who had fallen, but a, a, a sober assessment of where we are in America. Did you hear the speech? Yeah. You know who else liked it? Uh, President Biden. Hmm. He uh, he said he thought that 
Bush genuinely gave a good speech. Uh, Biden watched it. Uh, my understanding, he was on Air Force One flying from Ground Zero in New York, where he had started the day and before he arrived there in Pennsylvania. And so he saw, if not all, parts of the speech. And uh, he was asked about it later and said that he thought it was good. And it has gotten a lot of attention because for a couple of the couple of the references, obviously calls for unity and calls for, um, you know, the kind of cooperation that Americans showed in, in the days after those attacks 20 years ago. Those are those are common themes um, that we, we would expect to hear from our elected leaders or former elected leaders. But the president also president, former President Bush also uh, said uh, that the terrorists that we face or the extremists that we face overseas um, are just as dangerous as the extremists in this country. And that they uh, and there are some similarities there that are um, they're troubling in terms of protection of, you know, the U.S. and citizens. And so that was uh, that was some interesting and strong language. But he was really appealing for people to uh, to dial it back when it comes to extremism. And he was also urging politicians, I think, to 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 back away from the idea of always relying on fear and anger to motivate support for them uh, when they're campaigning and when they're governing. And so he was calling for a much different shift in, in the political tone. And a lot of people liked what they heard. Yeah. I also appreciated Greg just personally listening to his speech that he couched it in saying, you know, like I was the president of 9-11. This is what I saw. You know, this is what was real to me. This is what I experienced. And so it's not like I'm looking back at, I don't know, some fable someone wrote about America. This is actually what happened. This is what people were like. So we can't lose that. Um, based on the current divisions that seem to be in everything from social media to the workplace to the church. Sure. He was he was arguing that this is the America that he remembers and knows personally. Right. And he says we should be able to get back to to that point because that's the way we responded in that moment. And in those in those days and weeks afterwards, of course, things did change. And, uh, um, you know, politics always intervenes and and people do have short memories. And then there are people, you know, we're a generation later, a lot of people who who didn't uh, who weren't here, who weren't born yet, or didn't remember those days because of their young age at the time. So it's it's always a challenge to, and that's why memorials uh, like what we saw on the 20th anniversary this weekend are important. Uh, we often hear those phrases, you know, never forget, and we want to pay honor and respect to those. And uh, the never forgetting part and always remembering is is important because as time goes on, that becomes harder. And that's so just true. the next. So true. Shocking to think that it's been 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I I was not I was not at the White House that morning because President Bush was in Florida and uh, I was going to a staff meeting in our in our newsroom. And uh, so I was on the metro train when the first plane hit the first tower, walked through the office door just as the second plane was hitting. Wow. And it was at that point once we quickly learned that this was more than just an accident in New York City. Um, and then the Pentagon, which was just a couple of miles from our news studios, uh, when that was hit a half an hour later, we were uh, in full, full blown, uh, you know, news emergency broadcasting, long form, you know, for the next 10 or 12 hours straight. So it was uh, quite the day. Wow. Well, I was pregnant with a baby on that day. And uh, so, you know, I had a lot of, you know, feelings and thoughts circling around my head. But I'll tell you, in just my own reading over the weekend, the thing that that made such a difference to me, I'm going to talk about at the top of our um, close to our five o'clock hour is just the 
unbelievable photography this preserved forest just to take us back to that day to give us a window into the suffering of those who were right there at ground zero those um, who were in shanksville just especially for those of us with short memories or as you said for people who weren't alive then so important to see those images um and to just i don't know try to get our heads around what happened yeah, the still photographer, uh, those pictures, they, they are really, really important. Aren't they? Um, obviously, video tells an important story as well, but sometimes the still photographs. Yeah. Um, and that's why, and, and there are lots of, uh, there have been, and maybe you've seen some of the videos and documentaries that have come out on various video yeah. streaming platforms. Um, there are several that are out currently right now. Um, a lot of them feature video and, and, and photos that I remember from the time, but also I've seen a lot of new coverage and a lot of new photographs uh, mm-hmm. that I had never seen over the last 20 years. And you're right. They really do piece together uh, so many important stories. They really do. Greg, always good to talk with you. Thanks for setting the time aside for us. You're welcome. Have a great week. That's Greg Clexon with us, SRN News White House correspondent. All right. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, an event I'm hosting this coming Friday evening with Joe Sweeney, who's just recently returned from Afghanistan. We're going to get his uh, individual perspective on working there over the last several years and what each one of us can do going forward. That's next. Where can you find a local manufacturer that still makes hand-built two-sided mattresses? Only here at the Original Mattress Factory. Two-sided mattresses can be flipped and rotated to improve their long-term comfort and durability so you can get a good night's sleep for years to come. But OMF is one of the only companies left who still make them because we believe you deserve the best. So we build our products to last. And most standard sizes are available for pickup seven days a week at our factory location. Visit OriginalMattress.com to learn more. When you order a mattress from the Original Mattress Factory, it won't come shrink-wrapped and squeezed into a tiny box. It won't be dropped off on your front porch by your mailman either. That's because our mattresses are hand-built right here in your hometown. Using American-made steel inner springs, high-density specialty foams, cotton padding, and shock-absorbing box springs. You can't fit that kind of quality in a box. Shop online at OriginalMattress.com or stop by one of our stores to see the Original Mattress Factory difference for yourself. If you're in the market for metal roofing, siding, and garage doors, Kaufman Metals in Bedford can meet your expectations with friendly, professional service. Their equipment is right up to date with the newest technology and ready to produce your standard and customized metal panels and trims to your exact specifications for any project with the fastest turnaround in the industry. Plus, Kaufman Metals offers complete do-it-yourself building packages included with computer-generated drawings. Kaufman Metals also provides sales and service for CHI residential and commercial garage doors. They deliver any order, large or small, to any place with full-service rollback trucks and trailers with a Moffett forklift to set building packages conveniently close to your project. And just so you know, they offer contractors discounts as well. Visit KaufmanMetals.com or call 814-623-6044. Or stop in at 6146 Lincoln Highway, Bedford, PA. Don't let bees buzz off your customers. Get the help you need at BoozeBugStoppers.com. Get a free quote on a monthly or quarterly pest control and sanitation plan without a long-term contract that'll clean them up, block them out, push them back, and remove pests safely. Backed by Booze 100% Satisfaction Guarantee. When it comes to protecting your business and your guests, who are you going to call? 
Booze Bug Stoppers at boozebugstoppers.com. Your life, your hopes, and whatever you are searching for at 1.15 a.m., it's really none of our business, and it shouldn't be anyone else's. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. We are everywhere. On your radio at 101.5 WORDFM Pittsburgh at wordfm.com, the Word FM mobile app, iHeart, TuneIn, and Odyssey. We'll see partly cloudy skies for tonight. It will be warm with a low of 68. Tomorrow, a blend of sun and areas of high clouds. It'll be very warm and humid with a high of 85. Wednesday, continued humid with sunshine and areas of high clouds of the morning. Then mostly cloudy skies for the afternoon with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm. We'll see a high Wednesday of 76. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. This Friday evening, uh, happy to be hosting an event for my friend Joe Sweeney. If you follow the ride home, if you uh, watch clips on YouTube or listen to the program daily on the radio, Joe Sweeney is, uh, has been a friend of our program for a while. Um, recently in Afghanistan, uh, probably been back two weeks. Uh, we spoke to him just a couple days after his return, and uh, it was a very difficult uh, departure, as you can imagine. Uh, Joe has worked for the State Department in a uh, contract capacity for several years. So he spent a lot of time in Afghanistan, has a lot of knowledge about the um, about the people, about the environment, about the culture, and has a good take on what it is that's needed right now. Um, and so I want to invite you to come to this event that I'm hosting on Friday um, with John Steigerwald from WPGP. Um, so we're going to be meeting Friday, 6 o'clock to 8.30 p.m., Christchurch at Grove Farm in Swickley. Um, there will be an hors d'oeuvres mixer to start with, and then uh, John and I will moderate a panel discussion, and we'll be able to ask uh, questions about Joe, who's going to be live here in the studio with me on Wednesday. Um, and you, if you uh, choose to attend this event, are, are going to be able to ask questions of Joe yourself. Um, so you can learn the situation on the ground in Afghanistan. You can find out who the key players are and how each one of us can still make a difference. You can get your tickets now at wordfm.com. That is for this Friday, September 17th, 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Christchurch at Grove Farm would love, and I say love, to see you there. All right. Um, when we come back, excited to have uh, Paul J. McNulty back with us. Uh, he was a former Deputy Attorney General of the United States and prosecuted Zacharias Massawi for 9-11 related things. And we're going to talk to him about what that trial was like as we continue to remember 9-11. 101.5 WORD. Everywhere you go, anywhere you go, Word FM goes with you. That's because we're no longer trapped inside a radio. We're now everywhere you are, and you carry us around in your pocket. We're ubiquitous. There's an app for that, right? On TuneIn, on iHeart, on our own app, on WordFM.com. The iPhone. The iPhone. The iPhone. The iPhone. On your iPad, iPhone, and Android. We're always with you because we're inside your pocket. Whatever you do, don't lose us. 101.5 WORD. 
on August 14th, a magnitude 7.2 earthquake decimated southwest Haiti. So they are trying now if they can save the people because there's so much people down there. More than 2,000 people have been killed. Thousands of others injured and missing. Homes, businesses, churches, and schools have been leveled. Tens of thousands of people are left homeless, sleeping in the streets. All of this tragedy in the poorest country on this side of the world. Food for the Poor has been serving in Haiti for more than 35 years. We've already shipped almost 100 containers of relief supplies to the victims of this disaster. But your generous, compassionate gifts will keep the help and hope flowing in the days, weeks, and months to come. So please, give your most generous gift now to minister relief to the desperate people of Haiti. Dial pound 250 on your cell phone and just say, I want to give. On your mobile phone, dial pound 250 and say, I want to give. Dial pound 250 on your cell phone and just say, I want to give. Or you can click the red Help Haiti banner at wordfm.com. Hello, Word FM listeners. I'm Andrew Pawaski, General Sales Manager at Salem Media here in Pittsburgh. Looking to upgrade your career? Increase your annual earnings? At Salem Media, we sell advertising campaigns to local business owners using our radio stations and Salem Surround assets featuring over 50 social media and digital products. If you have more than two years of successful outside sales experience, proficient computer skills, and a drive to be the best, please go to salem.cc and look for Pittsburgh under the careers tab. Salem Media Pittsburgh is an equal opportunity employer. Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress. Sometimes our emotions are like massive mountains that stand in our way. Obstacles like doubt, bitterness, or fear keep us from enjoying a peaceful life of courage. In my brand new book called Invincible, I want to show you how to overcome barriers like guilt, loneliness, grief, anxiety, and more. Whatever barrier stands in your way, rest assured, with God's help, you are invincible. To be or not to be? If that's your pest question, get the help you need at BoozBugStoppers.com. Booze respects bees until they become a stinging problem for homeowners. Boo and his Bug Stoppers team can safely remove wasps, hornets, carpenter, and ground bees with no long-term contracts and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Get a free quote today. When it comes to getting the buzz on bees, who are you going to call? Booze Bug Stoppers at BoozeBugStoppers.com. Our remembrances of 9-11 go on. 20 years Saturday, uh, it was. And we spoke to Paul J. McNulty on Friday's program talking about what 9-11 was like for him um, and where he was and just, you know, as a member of the federal government, just what that experience was like, the kinds of considerations that he had, the kind of things that were uh, crowding into his mind at the time, and that was part one. And today I'm happy to have him back for part two um, as we discuss his um, very personal involvement with uh, the uh, with the trial and the conviction of Zacharias Massawi. If that name sounds familiar to you and you can't quite remember who it was, Zacharias Massawi was a French citizen. He was a member of al-Qaeda, and he pled guilty in uh, U.S. federal court to conspiring to kill citizens of the U.S. as part of the 9-11 attacks, currently serving life in prison without parole in Colorado. And uh, my next guest, Paul J. McNulty, led that prosecution. Paul, welcome back. Thanks, Kathy. It's always good to be with you. 
Yeah, Paul, you know, I, I very much appreciate your time with us. And, of course, I appreciate your friendship um, because you've been so kind over the years and really done such a terrific job dealing with college students in a real time of difficulty. But we've talked about COVID before. I want to stick with um, your remembrances of 9-11 and particularly the Zacharias Massawi trial. So, Paul, um, talk about your position in the federal government at the time and why this came to be your thing. Sure. Well, I was the United States attorney. That means I was the chief prosecutor for the Eastern District of Virginia. Virginia has two federal districts, and the Eastern District is all of Northern Virginia, uh, the federal government's presence there, including the Pentagon, uh, down through Richmond and then and then to the Tidewater area, Norfolk, and so forth. And um, I was nominated by President Bush for this position in the summer of 2001, and at the beginning of an administration, um, nominees are waiting for the Senate to make a confirmation, um, and uh, um, the uh, Senate had not yet confirmed me for this position, but two days, three days after the 9-11 attacks, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee put out and brought to the Senate floor my um, nomination, and so I started the next week uh, in Alexandria, Virginia, as the uh, prosecutor, and um, the um, uh, there's a large team of assistant United States attorneys. They stay on the in those positions from one administration to the next, and the U.S. attorney is the political appointee who leads the office. And so I had an office in Alexandria, Richmond, and Norfolk, Newport News, and we had a lot of different kinds of cases, but the Northern Virginia Alexandria office had a lot of history in doing espionage-type mm-hmm. cases and then began these terrorism cases. So, Paul... Um... Zacharias Massawi, a French citizen, member of Al-Qaeda, um, not killed in the 9-11 attacks. What was your case against him? Uh, what did you learn throughout your investigation? Well, Massawi was selected by Osama bin Laden personally and included in the overall plot to um, fly the planes into buildings. And he came to the United States, went directly to Norma, Oklahoma, uh, to get his um, some training in flying a small plane initially, and then went to Minnesota to get um, training on a flight simulator, a 747. But he was sent to the United States to be a part of the hijacking group. And our best our best reasoning is that he was going to fly a fifth plane if possible. Um, at the time of his training and arrest in August, a month before the attack. The rest of the 19 hijackers had not, not yet purchased tickets for the flights, so the plot was still very much coming together. And they rushed to get Masawi his training in uh, Minnesota so he might be available um, if they could get some muscle for a fifth plane or if they needed a, a fourth pilot to back up one of the uh, current um, um, designated four pilots. So Masawi was part of the conspiracy all along. He knew the plot, and there he was in Minnesota, but he got arrested when uh, the flight instructor became suspicious uh, that he was trying to fly a plane and didn't even have a commercial uh, pilot's license, and um, and that landed him in a jail in Minnesota um, prior to the attacks. So he started flying in Oklahoma, but was unsuccessful, was not able to get a pilot's license, right? And then through a friend, ended up in Minnesota? Well, he um, knew about that um, flight school because 
among the the um, terrorist conspiracy, they had identified flight schools all over the country. They would research those extensively um, from overseas. And so the one in Minnesota was picked out. Ramsey Benalsheib also wanted to be a pilot, and he was denied a visa. So he ended up staying in Hamburg, Germany, and served as a right-hand man to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the mastermind, just doing different things to support the whole conspiracy. Um, and he's the one who was in touch with Masawi and helped him get to uh, Minnesota and then wired him uh, the money he needed to pay cash, which in this case was $6,800 to pay cash for the, for the training. And that, too, was a red flag to the flight school and contributed to the decision to uh, turn him in. So we owe a debt of gratitude to the flight instructor who realized all was not as it should be with Masawi. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. That was a very attentive person who understood uh, that um, there could be risk there. And, um, uh, and an FBI agent, by the way, in Minnesota who responded very well, um, made that arrest. And by the way, made the arrest on an immigration charge, which is an interesting side point about whether or not um, an arrest like that would even be made today. And he was held on that immigration charge at the time of 9-11 when the FBI realized who they had in Minnesota, rather than releasing him since he was just being held on immigration, um, it was converted into what's called a material witness warrant, meaning you can hold somebody because if you let him go, you'll lose a a key Mm -hmm. witness. And he was initially brought to New York City on a material witness warrant and then transferred to Alexandria, Virginia, when we indicted him in December a few months after the attack. Paul McNulty is the ninth president of Grove City College, but prior to returning to his alma mater, he spent over 30 years in Washington, D.C. as an attorney in public service and private practice. In 05, he became the deputy attorney general for the United States. We're talking about his prosecution of the Zacharias Massawi case. Um, Zacharias Massawi convicted in 2006. So, Paul, before we get to the conviction of Masawi, I can't imagine the type of evidence. I can't imagine how many people you had tasked with this, trying to build this case. How long did it take before you went to trial? Well, it was a four and a half year process, but it wasn't so much because it took that long to build the case. Um, it was a complicated case because we were seeking the death penalty. And the federal judge in the case, um, Judge Brinkema, very conscientious, excellent judge, she um you know, set a high bar for what she thought should be the proper process. And Masai was an extremely, putting it mildly, difficult defendant. And so um, we had to appeal her decisions um, on a few um, occasions when she um, was bending over backwards to give him, ironically, the benefit of the Constitution and all of its rights. Again, that's an extreme irony. And um, so he was getting the fairest of trials in our system. And at one point, she actually dismissed the death penalty charge because we wouldn't let him interview Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and Ramzi Benalshi, who he wanted to use um, in his defense. Uh, now, fortunately, the Court of Appeals uh, backed the Department of Justice position, and so we were back before the judge. Um, but it took that long. Now, as far as the uh, evidence goes, we became the central gathering point for all evidence associated with the 9-11 attacks and all victim outreach. Thousands and thousands of people uh, were interviewed and um, given an opportunity to tell the stories of their loved ones who were killed. And so we had, at times, more than 100 people working on the case in different ways. 
it was a massive uh, undertaking. Wow. And how did you keep that much information? This is probably a simplistic question, but it seems to me the most obvious one. How did you keep all the information organized? Yeah, so, no, it's a great question. You know, we took um, half of a floor of an office building and we actually worked with a um, an outside vendor that does document organization type work. That vendor, I think, had at some point maybe 70 different people uh, working for the government to help us organize all of that evidence. Uh, we had a victim witness um, outreach team, and they were leading the way in, in developing and, and organizing all these stories. Our intention was to interview thousands of victim, victims in order to just be um, helpful to them personally. But also we wanted to select about 20 to 30 stories to tell the jury eventually before, you know, as a part of the mm-hmm. um, uh, trial to um, show how you know, aggravated the circumstances were. So uh, that had to be sort of um, developed out of all of the stories we received. Right. So you have to create a narrative before you go to trial, right, so that a jury is right. able to understand this. Um, and then Masawi himself, from what I've read, Paul, um, animated uh, outbursts, uh, verbal, uh, aggressive. Is that correct? Right. Absolutely. Well, you had so many different things going on. First of all, it was a, a woman judge, and uh, there was an anger that he had just in that alone. He he didn't trust his own lawyers, so he wanted to fire them. But uh, she wanted them to be at least standing by because he was being charged with a death, you know, a capital offense. And so she felt he needed to have some legal counsel, which eventually actually did represent him against him and his own wishes. Um he would write long, nasty letters to the judge. Um, but eventually he pled guilty um, almost a year before we had the, the, the trial, um, and she found him competent enough to uh, plead guilty. And then the next question became, what would his punishment be? And that was essentially what the trial was about. Should he be executed or not? Right. All right, so... The death penalty um, was not served against Masawi. Uh, t- was that a, a judge's decision? Was that a jury decision? Uh, a jury decision. Okay. So we had really two steps in the trial and, and what the jury had to, de- uh, to decide. The first was uh, a, a presentation of his guilty plea and witnesses that made it clear that if he had told the truth and that his part in the whole plot was to lie when he was arrested – because if he had uh, told the truth, um, from an offensive perspective, the government would have been able to mm-hmm. follow leads, unravel the plot, and either prevent all or some of the deaths on 9-11. From a defensive perspective, we argued that the um, FAA's security measures could have been increased and therefore perhaps more likely to stop knives going through the metal mm-hmm. detectors and to identify individuals who are highly suspicious. So we had to get the jury to decide that he was responsible for the death because of his lies, and they did decide that unanimously. Then the next phase was they did this, uh, whether they, they thought he should be executed, and we presented um, our lead witness, which was, who was Rudy Giuliani, uh, Rudy Giuliani to um, give a kind of an overview of what had happened that day. And then we had um, these victim stories, uh, he had an opportunity to present um, evidence about the fact that he had a childhood and so forth. And then the jury deliberated on that and came back and decided not to support 
um, the death penalty, but it was actually 11 to 1 vote. It has to be unanimous. And by one vote, um, his life was spared. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. Paul J. McNulty with us. He's the president of Grove City College, but we're talking about his years in Washington, D.C., especially in the state of Virginia when he was prosecuting Zacharias Moussaoui um, based on his uh, 9-11 connections. We need to take a break, Paul. When we come back, we're just going to have a couple minutes, but I'd like to close out with you if you're able. Oh, sure. Happy to stay on. Terrific. All right. That's Paul J. McNulty. We'll be right back. More discussions as we remember 9-11. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For a free quote, call 800-523-3771. That's 800-523-3771. 800-523-3771. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. If you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing throughout the country, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the Community Tax Helpline at 800 500 55 If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-500-5588 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-500-5588 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-500-5588. This Friday, Latshaw Productions presents six-time Grammy Award winner Amy Grant. Amy Grant, 7.30 p.m. live at the Palace Theater Greensburg. Singing her most beloved songs from favorite classic hits to crossover favorites. Amy Grant, this Friday. Tickets on sale now at the Palace Theater box office or at thepalacetheater.org. With today's technology, anyone can take a video. But getting it ready for prime time, that's something many churches aren't equipped to handle. Here at Salem Video, we offer churches everything they need to go from rough cut to picture lock. With your raw footage, we can produce great-looking videos for your social media, podcast, website, and even live service element. From text animation, visual effects, transitions, logos, music, and more, here's where we put it all together. What can Salem Video do for you? Ask GM Brad Marshall at 412-503-4770. You've heard this 500 times since last Friday, but it is hard to believe it has been 20 years since 9-11. Um, 
It's so appropriate, though, to, to put our minds back, you know, to, to remember those who were fallen, um, to think of those who have suffered loss in the two decades since, and to just, I don't know, offer to God our lament, our um, the fact that we just don't understand um, the depths of the sorrows that we suffer in life and um, yet come to him and continue to ask for grace. Um, and so in our, I don't know, in our path to maybe understand more of what happened, I'm very happy to have Paul McNulty with me today. He's the ninth president of Grove City College, but we're talking to him about his years in Washington, D.C. Um, when he was a uh, U.S. attorney in Virginia prosecuting the Zacharias Massawi case. Um, so, Paul, let's go back to um, Zacharias Massawi in the courtroom. Um, I just, I think I want... M- your personal reflections, like looking back on that, you were a different person 20 years ago than you are now, but you were tasked with something of such incredible importance, especially since you told us that um, your um, particular position was to kind of collate all the information um, regarding 9-11 testimony. So how was it for you? Well, there were so many different moments of intensity of feeling. Uh, one that just jumps out would be the first time that Masali appeared in the federal courtroom in December, making his initial appearance. Um, just looking at a person who was, um, you know, from this background, with these convictions, someone who we came to sort of, you know, rejoiced in the death of, of, of the people, wanted, wanted more death, you know, just to just to see him and be so physically close to him was in itself um, a, a unforgettable experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, but you know, um, from the day of the attacks until then, it was just a series of of um, activities and responsibilities that kept building. And by that time, by the time we get into December. You know, there was so much had changed in my own personal life. Um, my focus, along with my colleagues, um, you know, had become all about this. And so um, we were ready. You know, we were ready for what was going to unfold in a both intellectual and emotional sense, uh, even as this thing, just the drama of it, you know, coming to pass uh, day in and day out. President George W. Bush speaking at Shanksville on Saturday, Paul, uh, at the beginning of my first hour here on the air, I played excerpts from a speech I thought was really fine um, in multiple ways. Were you able to hear it? I have to say I did not hear it yet. Well, nope. I want to encourage you because there's so many things about it, Paul, just in listening to, to the things that you just said um, in your remembrances, it just... It harkened back to several things he said in his speech, and it just, in my mind, links us all together as people who um, are longing for answers from um, a God who is not giving them right now. Um, And yet we, you know, recognize that there has been in the last 20 years incredible moments of grace and beauty that we've all been able to experience and an incredible blessing for our nation. Um, So with only 30 seconds to spare, Paul... uh, do you look at this as a success, the Masawi? I mean, obviously he's serving life in prison, but just in in a larger sense, how do how do we think about nine eleven? Well, in the Masawi case, I do think it was a success. I mean, the execution was one punishment, but most important thing was to try to bring some closure, some sense of justice 
and uh, the victims uh, did get that. They got an opportunity to um, actually watch the case. It was mm -hmm. televised and historical first in the different courtrooms, and uh, and they got to be heard. And so there was a lot of good closure in all of that. Um, and as I look back over the last 20 years, I look back at um, determination um, and progress made uh, to make us all safer. And I think we definitely need to be thankful for God's providence in protecting us the way uh, he has. One oh one point five W O R D F M Pittsburgh on your smart speaker by saying play the word Pittsburgh and on your phone via the Word FM mobile app, iHeart, TuneIn, and Odyssey. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Secretary of State Blinken is preparing to face tough congressional questioning this week over the Biden administration's handling of the military withdrawal from Afghanistan. In a House hearing now underway in his opening statement. Blinken noted that there were two flights out of Afghanistan just last week, and he did also acknowledge that there were still Americans stuck in the country. We're in constant contact with American citizens still in Afghanistan who have told us that they wish to leave. Each has been assigned a case management team to offer specific guidance and instruction. Some declined to be on the first flights on Thursday and Friday for reasons including needing more time to make arrangements, wanting to remain with extended family for now, or medical issues that precluded traveling last week. Secretary of State Blinken on Wall Street. Stocks are mixed. The Dow is ahead 151 points. The Nasdaq down 58. This is SRN News. When it comes to higher education, it's worth considering a Christian university or college, one that reaffirms students' faith instead of tearing it down. Research shows that students who attend a Christian college can become significantly more committed to their faith, and that's an important investment to make. You care about the type of people who are teaching the classes and about the content of the courses just as much as you do about the strength of the academics. It matters that Christian faith is supported and shared. Find out about many schools at once by attending the free Christian College Fair with representatives of colleges and universities from across North America. Start planning now. Take advantage of the opportunity to meet with representatives from top Christian colleges throughout the country. Learn about financial aid, scholarship opportunities, and more. Take your first step to a Christian college education at Orchard Hill Church in Wexford, Saturday, September 25th from 11 to 1. That's the Pittsburgh Christian College Fair, Saturday, September 25th at Orchard Hill Church in Wexford from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Remember the kids game telephone? The teacher would whisper in the first kid's ear, I have a purple giraffe named Lucy. And then each kid would whisper that to the next kid to see if the message could make it to the end. At the end, little Johnny would of course yell out, my paper airplane is storming your Barbie castle. It's Ryan. And the point I'm trying to make is sometimes middlemen can create problems. At United Faith Mortgage, an important thing about us is that we have a direct lender advantage. We are an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. For you, this often allows us to get your loan done faster. And because we lend with our company's money, we can often get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money. We are United Faith Mortgage. We pay your appraisal fees up to $500. That's out-of-pocket money. 
United Mortgage Court, Melville, New York. MLS number 1330. Department of Banking. Mortgage Lender License number 22672. As Joe Sweeney's plane left the tarmac and the Taliban rolled into Kabul, America's longest war was at an end. After years of working with our Afghan allies, the questions persist. Was it worth it? And what will the future be for those who remain? Salem Media presents an evening with Joe Sweeney at Christ Church at Grove Farm in Sewickley. This Friday from 6 to 8.30 p.m., an hors d'oeuvre mixer followed by a moderated panel discussion with Joe featuring John Steigerwald and Kathy Emmons. Get tickets now at wordfm.com. Sponsored in part by Veteran Plumbing and Peace, Love, and Little Donuts. Trip to Europe. Visit all 30 Major League Baseball stadiums. Go skydiving. Okay, so you know what you want to do in retirement, but do you know how to get there? Tune into Your Retirement Blueprint with Kurt Kenotic and Ethan Lane of Accurate Solutions Group Saturdays at 10 a.m. to get answers to your retirement planning questions. Plan today so you can do the things you've always dreamt about doing in retirement. Listen every Saturday morning at 10 to Your Retirement Blueprint with Accurate Solutions Group. Investment advisory services offered through ASG Investment Management, LLC. We'll see partly cloudy skies for tonight. It will be warm with a low of 68. Tomorrow, a blend of sun and areas of high clouds. It'll be very warm and humid with a high of 85. Wednesday, continued humid with sunshine and areas of high clouds in the morning. Then mostly cloudy skies for the afternoon with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm. We'll see a high Wednesday of 76. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Welcome in. Kathy Emmons from the Word FM studios, but sitting in the room alone because my honor partner, John Hall, taking a day off. As I said at the start of our show today, it's not just any day off because the man is at the beach. It's hard for me to accept, to be honest with you. You know, I love the beach. I love water. Christy, producer, I know. You also love water, yes? Yes, I do. Of course you do. And we could be living our best lives now. We could be. Mm, but we're not. But John is. But John is. And we're glad for him. We because, are. you know, God bless him, he's had a hard time lately. <laughs> he has. He's had a rough <laughs> couple weeks. I really, I feel like if ever there was a person that deserved a beach vacation, I think it's probably him. It is. You know, poor guy. Uh, anyway, so happy to have you along for today's uh, edition of The Ride Home. If you missed any of our 4 o'clock hour, I spent um, the whole time remembering 9-11. 20th anniversary on Saturday. We started in on Friday's show talking about some 9-11 related things. But in um, on today's show, we heard the beginning, um, actually not just the beginning, different portions of former President George W. Bush's address to those gathered in Shanksville on Saturday to celebrate the anniversary, a really excellent word that he had, not just for the people assembled there, but for all of us. Um, also, I spoke to Greg Clugston about things going on inside the nation's capital. And then in the second half of the hour, Paul McNulty, uh, who's the president of Grove City College, joined me. But we weren't talking about uh, Grove City. We were talking instead about him prosecuting the Zacharias Massawi trial for 9-11 related charges back in 2006. Really interesting perspectives um, from both men. And if you missed any of that, please, would you contact our podcast wherever you individually 
actually get your podcasts. All right, coming up in this hour, we're going to talk a little bit about Afghanistan with someone who knows. Uh, is going to tell us a little bit of a different story, not a public policy story, but something different than that. More of a, a personal reflection, what it means for people who have lived in Afghanistan working for NGOs or for humanitarian organizations. What happens to them and the people they love in Afghanistan now? That's coming up in a little bit. And also at the end of the hour, the impossible kid. Parenting a strong-willed child with love and grace. Christy Stockdale, I ask you, were you the impossible kid? I probably was. Okay. I was the baby. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and all of your siblings saying, she gets everything. Yeah. Yeah, I know all about that. Anyway, before we launch into all of that, I just have to ask you a question. So I think I mentioned on Friday's show that uh, we had some clients in town last week. And so I usually try to take clients out for a nice lunch in the Pittsburgh area. And every and I mean every single place that I take clients to is not open for lunch anymore. I mean, it's not like I could only find a couple. It was like there were none. Now, I ended up at the Bingham Tavern up in Mount Washington in Chatham Village. I had a terrific meal, and I just totally love that place, and I'm going to be back for sure. But it just made me think. So millions of Americans have clearly walked away from restaurant jobs or jobs in hospitality at hotels or whatever it is. And I I know this is maybe an obvious question, but I feel like I should ask, where did everybody go? Like, what are they doing? That's my question. So I spent some time this morning just looking around online at, at kind of what we're seeing in this um, restaurant field. I've got an article here. Here's one from Round Rock, Texas. Uh, restaurant cuts um, due to prolonged staff shortage. I've got a story here from Alabama. Three Chick-fil-A restaurants have closed their dining rooms. They can't find enough staff. Here's a story from Sacramento, California. Finding good help is a difficult thing. A job fair hosted a couple of months ago resulted in only three applicants for top-level restaurant positions. Uh, here's something from Knoxville, Tennessee. COVID-fueled labor shortages have Knoxville restaurants cutting capacity. Okay, so this is all, those are all the corners of our nation. So clearly this is happening. Where did everybody go? Seriously. Uh, now, so unemployment benefits ended on January, or not January, on September 6th. So what are people doing? Have people decided they don't want to work in restaurants anymore? Are people thinking that restaurants don't pay enough money? I mean, these articles that I just highlighted here, um, several of them have raised wages um, they're paying significantly more, upwards of 20% more than what they were paying before COVID, and they still can't find anybody to work there. So I, I saw this article in USA Today. Um, millions of Americans are walking away from their jobs each month. Here's why. And this is just one person's ruminations, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, so the first thing that it talks about is is that our lives are filled with different kinds of shocks. So if we have a death in the family, um, if we, you know, graduate from high school, if we get a PhD, if we move to a different state, there are all these different shocks. And so that can kind of change your work trajectory. But in this instance, um, shocks are not like the gentle waves we experience in our individual lives. This one hit millions, billions, in fact, at a time. And so the COVID pandemic was more like a tsunami instead of a gentle wave. And so billions of people impacted. Um, millions of people are dead. We're trying to figure out what we're doing. And a lot of people are going back and saying, okay, maybe it's time to reassess. 
Okay, I get that. I think, you know, reassessing is important. Also, um, people are talking about the fact that we've got Jeff Bezos, who has enough money that he can take his private rocket into space and take a couple pals along with him and see what it's like. And then the average person can't even, you know, buy health insurance or, you know, go get a pizza on Friday night. And so you kind of feel like if wealth at the top is ballooning and we're at the bottom, then why are we doing this? I mean, I think that's probably a question worth asking also. Um, the bottom line, though, is that it's not like there are a ton of surveys that have been done. There have been some, but we just haven't reached conclusions on this yet. We're not sure. We're guessing as to why people are quitting their jobs or not hurrying to get back to them. I mean, in some regards, I think it's the it might be the life and death reality of COVID. And you're thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to be in danger, as we all are every single day, we're all in danger. It's not like we can, God never promised us a, a secure, safe life. So if we're all in danger, we're going to go out and go to a job. Maybe a lot of us just want that job to count for something. You know, we want it to matter in some ways. Um, also, people are interested, I think, in becoming their own boss in some ways. You know, I worked at home for almost a year and a half. It's a different kind of life. I'm not sure I liked it looking back on it. I mean, I liked it while I was in it. But now that I reflect, I think, you know, you kind of get into this insular mindset and your thoughts, you know, you know how sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and your thoughts are just a downward spiral of like, despair and horror. You know, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to, you know, all those sorts of things. Well, I think working at home allows you to be in that negative space during the day, which I don't think is good, right? So I don't think necessarily working at home is great for everybody, but a lot of people really liked it. And so they're thinking, okay, so I want to work for myself, right? Christy, you're shaking your head. You have friends that feel the same way, right? Yeah, I, I would, I, Slightly miss working from home. Do you? I do. Yeah, yeah. Did you get into the, any of those negative, like, minds? No. I, no, I don't think so. Yeah, you were just, look at, I don't, like, I'm like, so I sorry. I don't think so. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I had a great time. I was working outside when it was nice out. I know, that was nice, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, no, I get that. Okay, what about people? Now, Christy, you're 27 years old. People who you know, maybe, like, within 10 years of where you are, are they impacted by the Jeff Bezos and whoever who has enough money to buy a rocket and go into space and they're trying to eke by? Yes. Like there, it, it ticks people off. They, you know, especially with COVID. We, yeah. Some people can't even find it. Like they got laid off and now they can't find another job and he's flying around in space. Right. Okay. What about, I'm going to take us back to where we started. What about restaurants? I mean, where did everybody go? Do you know anybody who worked in a restaurant and is now doing something different? I don't. I don't either. I don't either. But all I know is that I love to eat out. And it's, it's interesting because my husband and I went out for dinner on Saturday night. We couldn't get a reservation. Ended up doing a walk-in up walk -in thing and like, can you seat us? And we ended up sitting at the bar and then being able to be seated. But there were a ton of people there. So people want to go out, right? So it's not that there aren't people who want to have the dining out experience. It's just there aren't enough people to keep the doors open. I don't know what the future is in that regard. I don't know. I mean, I guess we have to wait to see since the benefits just ended, you know, a week and a half ago or such or so. I guess we kind of need to see where we are in two or three weeks. But I, if you work in a restaurant 
if you have if you're an owner of a restaurant if you have any insight into this i'd be really curious i'd love to hear from you i'd, I'd love to know what someone here in you know western pennsylvania or if you're watching online you're from a different city or state i'd love to hear what your experience is and kind of what people in your line of work in your industry are saying because gosh you guys i miss going out anyway coming up next the other story of afghanistan What's it like for people who have worked for NGOs, people who've worked in humanitarian organizations, and what about the people they've had to leave behind? We'll talk about that coming up next, Monday edition, right on. 101.5 WORD. Your station for unlimited grace with Brian Chappell. It's the gospel that should be changing us. If the change is not there, then we say something is not being seen. That's the actual magnet and thrust of the church into the culture. If she is the bride of Christ, she loves supernaturally. Unlimited Grace with Brian Chapel, weekday afternoons at 1.30 on 101.5 WORD. On August 14th, a magnitude 7.2 earthquake decimated Southwest Haiti. So they are trying now if they can save the people because there's so much people down there. More than 2,000 people have been killed. Thousands of others injured and missing. Homes, businesses, churches, and schools have been leveled. Tens of thousands of people are left homeless, sleeping in the streets. All of this tragedy in the poorest country on this side of the world. Food for the Poor has been serving in Haiti for more than 35 years. We've already shipped almost 100 containers of relief supplies to the victims of this disaster. But your generous, compassionate gifts will keep the help and hope flowing in the days, weeks, and months to come. So please, give your most generous gift now to minister relief to the desperate people of Haiti. Dial pound 250 on your cell phone and just say, I want to give. On your mobile phone, dial pound 250 and say, I want to give. Dial pound 250 on your cell phone and just say, I want to give. Or you can click the red Help Haiti banner at wordfm.com. With today's technology, anyone can take a video. But getting it ready for prime time, that's something many churches aren't equipped to handle. Here at Salem Video, we offer churches everything they need to go from rough cut to picture lock. With your raw footage, we can produce great-looking videos for your social media, podcast, website, and even live service element. From text animation, visual effects, transitions, logos, music, and more, here's where we put it all together. What can Salem Video do for you? Ask GM Brad Marshall at 412-503-4770. Don't let bees buzz off your customers. Get the help you need at boozebugstoppers.com. Get a free quote on a monthly or quarterly pest control and sanitation plan without a long-term contract that'll clean them up, block them out, push them back, and remove pests safely. Backed by Boo's 100% satisfaction guarantee. When it comes to protecting your business and your guests, who are you going to call? Booze Bug Stoppers at BoozeBugStoppers.com. Are you ready for a life-fulfilling getaway? Where you can join renowned Bible teachers, best-selling authors, and award-winning worship artists in breathtaking locations? Sail the Sea of Galilee, gaze at the majesty of towering Alaska glaciers, or bask in the warmth of the Caribbean sun. Christian travel is the best way to see God's creation, and inspiration cruises and tours will provide unforgettable moments just for you. For more information, visit inspirationcruises.com or call 800-247-1899. In all our conversation about Afghanistan, and there has been a lot, uh, one thing we haven't talked about are people that remain not just Afghanis that remain, but people who work for NGOs or humanitarian organizations might work for the UN who aren't leaving. 
who are going to stay and help the people of Afghanistan because that's what they've been tasked to do. It's what they want to do. And uh, I guess my question is, what happens to them? Well, to answer that question or to maybe ask other questions, uh, Rebecca Hopkins is back with me, a journalist living in Colorado. She spent 14 years in Indonesia and writes about international nonprofit work. Um, she uh, has written in the current issue of Christianity Today, and the title of the article is The Other Story of Afghanistan. Rebecca, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, nice to see you. Yeah, this is a really, um, this is an interesting piece, and I think it's titled well, because it is a story about Afghanistan that I don't think many people have told, and I certainly haven't read. Um, so first off, um, talk about why you decided to write this, who the main players are in the story. Yeah, I think the main players are, well, there's two different main players. One of them is the aid workers that are from other countries, not just the United States, but many countries around the world who have made Afghanistan their home, not just their work, but their home. And then the other, um, the other people in the story are their Afghan friends and the people that they work alongside. And many of the people who work for these foreign aid organizations are Afghans and um, they have definitely remained. Um, Many of the foreign aid workers have um, left the country for now. They're in nearby countries waiting to return and trying to figure out what their next, next steps are. They want to still live there and make that their home and their, their place of work and community. Um, but their colleagues, their Afghan colleagues who also work for these organizations, they're there trying to keep the work going and wondering what's next. Yeah. And I mean, the essence of the heart of a person who does this is that they're not going in and doing it for 10 days or 10 months. You know, they're in it for the long haul and um, in good times and bad. And this has all I mean, for the last 75 years, this has been an incredibly dangerous place to live. And so people who are going in who work for humanitarian organizations or NGOs, they know what they're getting into. Um, however, it doesn't mean that their day to day life isn't perilous. And it doesn't mean that they're not concerned about family and friends, and especially the people that they're there to work with. So can you tell us a couple stories about people you met, you talked with, you know, what they're doing, who they're working with, why they're staying? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, many of them, I mean, when I started working on this story, it was in the beginning of the summer and we didn't know what August would look like mm. exactly. There were some suspicions. There was a lot of talk. Um, there were some concerns. Um, and so as I was talking to them, we were mostly talking about what has happened in the past, where they were on 9-11. And, and many of them were, were there in Afghanistan or nearby Pakistan, um, working with Afghan refugees. And um, many of them maybe left for a time, but came back six months later and were and stayed there for years and have lived there throughout the years. Um, some of them lived there pre 9-11, um, you know, during civil war times and, and all of that. And so they know what it takes to live there. Having said that, there's, there's definitely costs to their family, um, but um, they are, there's a, a deep dedication. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is their home and their community. And, um, and I think they are wanting to continue to be part of what Afghans are also wanting to be part of, which is to, to build a, a country that's great and that is beautiful. And they have a lot of great tools, Afghans do. They're, I mean, the other story of Afghanistan is that it's a, it's a story of hospitality and drinking tea together. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite stories, actually, is uh, one of, in, the, in the story. It's 
Arlie Lowen, he has lived there and worked there throughout the years. And he tells a story of bringing some, some visitors to come visit an Afghan friend. And he knew this Afghan friend would make a feast, but he knew this friend didn't really have a whole lot of money to, to, to feed his friends that would come. So he said, oh, you know, just don't overdo it with the food. And that his Afghan friend, you know, chastised him. He said, well, okay, the stomach is, is yours, but the guest is mine. And, you know, in other words, I've got the guests, let me take care of the guests. They're mine. And I'm going to, I'm going to spoil them. I'm going to take care of them. Um, And I think that's That's, the the neat story too. You know, as there's now maybe a bit of a a diaspora of Afghans who have left, um, I think that's the opportunity for Americans um, and other countries throughout the world is, okay, now is our chance to welcome them as guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and to take care of them in the hospitable way that they take care of each other. Rebecca Hopkins is with me, journalist living in Colorado. She spent 14 years living overseas. She writes about international nonprofit work. And we're talking about her article written for this month's Christianity Today called The Other Story of Afghanistan. Um, you mentioned in the piece uh, Patrick Crayer, who lives and works in Kabul with his wife and kids. He pointed out um, that ophthalmology which seems like a very strange like subsection of life, um, but is a particular point of pride and excitement for him as something that was really altered um, over the last 20 years in Afghanistan. Can you tell that story? Yeah. I mean, so when he first started working there, um, they're, they're the only um, ophthalmologists were, were foreigners coming in and doing the work. But in the last 20 years, um, they have now turned it over to universities there in Afghanistan that are training up Afghan doctors to do the work. And it just shows the progress, it shows the investment of, of both foreign aid workers, but also Afghans who are are part of that rebuilding effort in a really beautiful way. Yeah, yeah. I appreciated uh, this one paragraph you uh, included here. You said a lot of the work has been done by Afghans themselves. Um, Patrick Crayer recalls arriving in Kabul in 2002 and seeing building after building bombed out. But by 2012, a city of more than 4 million was completely rebuilt. There were other kinds of transformations, too. Artists started creating again, women competing in athletics, participating in team sports. And by 08, Afghanistan had its first Olympic medalist. Um, so all that transformational work didn't just happen. NGOs and, you know, Americans and Europeans being there. It happened throughout the hard work of Afghans. And I guess my question is, and you can't answer this, but it's it's something that, of course, is at the forefront of every person's mind who's hearing this, which is, so what happens now? Right. So we, we've seen this. We've documented. You've documented this for us. What's happened over the last 20 years there? Is that all in danger of collapsing? It's a really good question. I think it's the question everybody's asking. Having said that, I checked in with Patrick Crayer today uh, or this week, and I said, okay, yeah, what is happening right now um, since since the piece has been published? And he said, well, the Taliban has asked many NGOs to keep working there, and they're in a period of negotiation. And so that's a matter of prayer is that we can be praying that um, the Taliban will will negotiate well so there, there can be safety and security for these these workers to return and for Afghan workers who are also doing the work for them to be able to continue with the projects and that they will, you know, agree that humanitarian principles need to be carried out, that, that women can be part of the work and, and can receive services. And so that's being negotiated. Um, and so, yeah, that's the, the prayer, but um, 
in, encouraging, I guess, to, to say that. Yeah. And, I, and one yeah. thing they point out too, is that, you know, through these years of a lot of government upheav upheaval, it's, it's the aid workers that are trying to be that neutral um, st stability, point of stability. Um, and, and they have largely succeeded. They have been well-respected. Um, and let's, let's hope they can continue to build on that. Yeah. Yeah, I for sure second that. Rebecca Hopkins with me, journalist living in Colorado, talking about the article she wrote on Afghanistan for Christianity Today. Um, hey, Rebecca, the last time that you were with us, you talked about um, the podcast that you're doing with your sister. So this is different than the article you wrote for CT. So I'm kind of going off on a little tributary here, but I want to check back with you because you and your sister were committed to trying new things. So it was COVID. You felt like you needed to like branch out. You needed to keep yourself alive in some mental capacity. Um, anything new since we spoke last? Yeah. Thanks for asking. I think I was trying to work on my, um, my pull-ups. Pull-ups. That was the well, last thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we don't mean the pull-ups like the diapers that toddlers wear. We're talking about actually pulling yourself up on a bar. Okay. Exactly. So uh, that's still a work in progress. Yeah. Cause that's um, pretty hard, huh? Yeah. I, yeah, I said I wanted to work on that too. And I have, I also have made zero progress in that yeah. regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, one okay. of these days. Um, but yeah, it's it's continuing to be a, a a place of hope for us and fun. Yeah, our podcast is called Trying Life, so check it out if you if you have a time. And um, yeah, it's been fun to do that with my sister. Okay, Trying Life. Oh, so that was probably maybe I don't know two months ago we talked. So you and I yep. made zero progress on pull ups. So maybe <laughs> we talk like around Christmas and we might have actually something to say. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> Well, she doesn't sound hopeful at all, does she? That's Rebecca Hopkins. She's a journalist living in Colorado. Hey, listen, you have to check out her article in this month's CT. It is really, it is just fascinating. And we, we just kind of touched the, the absolute like tip of the iceberg. It's called The Other Story of Afghanistan. Rebecca Hopkins, thanks for being with me today. Thank you. Uh -huh. More to come in today's edition. The right home. that we do in the office is to provide a comforting feel to you and your family. Stock Family Dentistry, where exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care. We do value the time that you spend at our office, and we understand that you don't have hours and hours because lives are crazy nowadays. But we want to really make sure that the time you're spending with us is efficient and effective and works for you as an individual. Perry Highway in Wexford at StockFamilyDentistry.com. Why doing it right roofing, siding, and remodeling? As an Owens Corning Roofing Platinum Preferred Contractor, it's simple. It's in their name. They're doing it right, and it's what you'd expect as a homeowner and what they intend to deliver. Call 724-NEW-ROOF. Want it done right? Call doing it right. Grove City College, a group of young people who are engaged in a rigorous academic journey. Mm -hmm. That's fair to say. What happens at Grove City College? This is not essentially for the faint of heart. It is a rigorous, mm -hmm. deep dive into an academic load. It is. You know, I've had this conversation with both of my kids a lot over the last couple of years. Mom, I don't know how I'm going to do on the midterm. Like, I, I don't know. What, what if I don't pass this class? And, you know, both of my kids 
do pretty well in school, but it's a challenging atmosphere. What I love about it, though, is that there's help for you. You know, it's like if, if you if you can't get what you need, if you feel like you don't have what it takes to pass microeconomics, which I didn't when I was an undergrad, right. <laughs> they've got a, a great tutoring setup. So it's it's one of those things that you want to be challenged, but you want to also have some people behind you to support you so you feel like in the challenge you can succeed. I'm into that. Grove City College, rigorous academics, great and fun athletics, wonderful Christian values, and some of the most amazing people that I promise you you will ever meet. For more information, look online for you or your rising senior, GCC. As Joe Sweeney's plane left the tarmac and the Taliban rolled into Kabul, America's longest war was at an end. After years of working with our Afghan allies, the questions persist. Was it worth it? And what will the future be for those who remain? Salem Media presents an evening with Joe Sweeney at Christ Church at Grove Farm in Sewickley. This Friday from 6 to 8.30 p.m., an hors d'oeuvre mixer followed by a moderated panel discussion with Joe featuring John Steigerwald and Kathy Emmons. Get tickets now at wordfm.com. Sponsored in part by Veteran Plumbing and Peace, Love, and Little Donuts. Listen on your smart speaker at wordfm.com, the Word FM app, iHeart, TuneIn, and on Odyssey. In your car or at home, too, at 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. We'll see partly cloudy skies for tonight. It will be warm with a low of 68. Tomorrow, a blend of sun and areas of high clouds. It'll be very warm and humid with a high of 85. Wednesday, continued humid with sunshine and areas of high clouds in the morning. Then mostly cloudy skies for the afternoon with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm. We'll see a high Wednesday of 76. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. So yesterday was about, I don't know, 1250. And I was super excited because it was first Steeler game of the season. And uh, I had a snack. And you can make fun of me with the snack, as I might tell you later. Other, I might not, because I know that I'll incur wrath, but whatever. Um, so I had a snack. I was ready to go. I had sofa. I had pillows, blanket for the inevitable, you know, like maybe there's a tired moment in there, whatever. And I had zero hope that the Steelers would win that game. Turn on my TV, and guess what? My cable is broken. And I'm, I know you're saying broken. What does that mean? Okay, so it's not like the cable was out. It wasn't like it was a black screen. It was just like digital screen. You know what I mean? Where there's like blips and blurps and blips. And bl- and so you couldn't really hear it. You also couldn't really watch it. But you could kind of like follow along anyway. After about, I don't know, I started what, like the game started at 1. I think by one oh six, I thought, well, this is over. I can't absolutely cannot do this. So I went to the radio broadcast, heard my friend Craig Wolfley doing a terrific job. Um, and it was fun because so Craig is in Tunch's old spot. Um, Bill Hillgrove still calling the games. Max Starks has been hired by the team. He's now doing what Wolf was doing on the sidelines. Um, and Missy Matthews still done there. Anyway, it was really great. So I listened to the whole game, but did not get to watch one blessed moment of it. And, and I would like to go back and watch this. Christy Stockdale, in the other room, did you watch yesterday's game? I watched the first half. And well, then, the second half was when it got good. I know, and I was very angry because they looked 
horrible. Yeah. So I was like, I'm, this game is over. I'm done. And then I went swimming. And then I, you know, got out of the pool and checked the score and was like, oh, man. That is sad. <laughs> I mean, that's a, I, I'll be honest with you. And you know how much I like you and appreciate you. Yeah. That's a sad sack fan approach. That's all right. Listen, if it was a hockey game, I'd be there all day. Football? Nah. I don't know. Anyway, it was terrific. I mean, it was everything I didn't think it would be. I mean, yeah, there were a couple things that did, did pan out the way I expected. The offensive line didn't look great. But in pretty much every other regard, I mean, it, like from special teams to defense to offense scoring on consecutive drives, I mean, it was a, it was a really good performance. So I'm wondering this. You know how um, you can go on iTunes in the playoffs and buy games? Like you can, like if you didn't see the AFC Championship, you can go on. I don't know. You pay two ninety nine or something to watch a game. Can you do that with regular season games? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You should download the NFL app though, because I think you can watch games from the NFL app. Can I go back and watch games that happened yesterday? Like not live. I want to watch ones that were recorded. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. You might be able to see the all the top plays. Who cares? I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. I hate highlights. I cannot stand highlights. Highlights make no sense out of the narrative of a game. So what you turn on the you know eleven o'clock news and you see like you know three touchdowns. Who cares? You don't know what drama led you to the touchdown. I hate highlights. Anyway, all right. It was it was a terrific game, and I'm super excited for Mike Tomlin and for everybody because they upended what every single per. I didn't hear one person pick the Steelers winning that game. Anyway, I really enjoyed it a lot. I'm going to go back and find it tonight. And I'm going to report back tomorrow how I was able to do it. It'll be legal. I promise. <laughs> All right. The Impossible Kid. Parenting a strong-willed child with love and grace. If you know a strong-willed child, you might want to listen to this. It's coming up next on The Ride Home. 101.5 WORD Imagine what it was like in ancient Israel when every family who ignored God's command woke up to find their oldest child dead. What a horrific scene. This week on Through the Bible, we see a day of remembrance established for God's rescue from judgment and discover that He wasn't only teaching the Hebrews, but everyone who hears and believes His Word. Through the Bible, this evening at 9 p.m. on 101.5 WORD. This entertainment answer brought to you by Exergen. What is our family Blu-ray pick of the week? Well, it's the Boss Baby family business. Baby Core wants to get the team back together, huh? No, I think that's a terrible idea. Lots of fun for the whole gang, plus a strong message of the family bond. I'm the Boss Applesauce, and I think you two are better together than you are apart. Well, I work alone. Hey, there's no I in team. Actually, there's no you in team either. The Boss Baby family business on Blu-ray and DVD. For more information, head over to theentertainmentanswer.com. If you have an unpaid tax debt to the IRS that you can't pay, please hear this special notice. Specially approved IRS relief programs designed to aid delinquent taxpayers are now in effect that can significantly improve your financial situation. 
Depending on your circumstances, you may qualify to have your tax problem resolved in your favor and may even have your back taxes reduced by thousands or eliminated entirely. A relief hotline has been established by Community Tax for you to call and see if you qualify at 800-500-5588. If you owe the IRS back taxes that you can't afford to pay, don't let the IRS trick you into thinking you have no way out. Our highly accredited tax professionals will let you know what you qualify for and how much you can save. We may be able to stop all liens garnishments, levies, and save you thousands. Call and see if you qualify for this taxpayer relief at 800-500-5588. 800-500-5588. That's 800-500-5588. Community Tax. Who's your tax guy? It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof. Or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows or Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof Left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you've lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months, no interest financing, and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how would you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding and roof replacement. Offer valid through 12-31-21. All with 12 months, no no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. That is WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Were you an impossible kid? Or do you have an impossible kid? Either way, life can get really hard really fast. I'll tell you. Well, we're going to talk with Lucille Williams because she has written a brand new book called The Impossible Kid, Parenting a Strong-Willed Child with Love and Grace. Lucille, welcome into the program. Hello, Kathy. I'm happy to be here. Okay. Were you an impossible kid? No, no, I wasn't. I was like a really good kid. Get out of here. Now, okay, is the okay, now I wonder if impossible kids will acknowledge it. I will tell you that my producer Christy acknowledged that she believes that she was one. That's interesting. You know what? When we're done, I'm going to call my mom and I'm going to ask her if she thought I was an impossible kid. I'm going to do that. Okay. Now, do you feel like you had the impossible kid? I certainly did. Uh My daughter was, she, I'm telling you, I felt like I was pulling my hair out every day and just going, Lord, I don't know what to do with this child. Please help me. Okay. From the very beginning? From the very beginning, we brought her home from the hospital and we would lay her in her crib and she would bang her head on her mattress. All we had to do was lay her down in her little crib and her little head would bang and she'd have red marks in the front of her head. And you'd think, what did I, is this your first child? That was that was our first one, yes. Yeah, and that's when you thought, I'm not capable of doing this parenting thing. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I, yeah, no, I, I am not equipped to deal with this. Okay. So <laughs> sure what I was thinking. Okay. So as she grew up, I'm guessing, um, there's, you know, obstinate issues. There are just being difficult issues. There's being disagreeable. There's being stubborn. I mean, are these all accurate? Absolutely accurate. And it reminds me of the day I went to her elementary school to pick her up. It was after school. I had her brothers in the car. 
and we had an appointment and we had to get going. So she gets to the car and I said, Monica, we need to get going. Come on, honey, get in the car quickly. No, mom, I forgot something. I need to go back. I'm like, okay, then run, please run and go get what you need. So she goes, she comes back, but instead of running, she just kind of sauntered and just took her time and slowly walked over to my car. And she gets in the car and I said, sweetheart, I told you we have an appointment. Why didn't you run? And she said, because I didn't want to. And I was like, oh, and that was every turn. That was, that was what she did almost with everything. And so I just like, I just let it go. Cause you know, when you have an impossible kid, you could just be fighting them all day long and don't enjoy their childhood. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, so, so, so yeah, that's the first thing I thought of. Now this could drive you to distraction and actually, you know, your kid could be 18 years old and you realize that you spent 18 years like despising every moment they were awake. Absolutely. In fact, when she got a little older, one time she was a teenager, I said, hey, you want to come with me and go hang out and get coffee while your brother's doing boxing? And she's like, mom, we're not getting along right now. Why would you want to spend time with me? And I said, oh, yeah, well, if I stayed away from you every time we weren't getting along or you were being snotty, I would have missed half of your childhood. And we both just laughed because we both know it's true. Okay, so but you're showing that you are able to talk about this with her. This is not like some kind of elephant in the room where no one's like everyone. Listen, like the emperor has no clothes. Everyone knows it's happening, but nobody's able to say it out loud. You make a really good point. That is true. Throughout her childhood, we talked about it. She knew she was tough and she would verbalize it and we would verbalize it. And we, we talked about it. We did. We talked about it throughout her entire childhood. Okay. All right. So that's got to be a sign of health, right? Is that something you'd recommend to parents? Absolutely. Yes. My goodness. Good point, Kathy. Yes, I agree. A hundred percent. Okay. So Lucille, if you're, if you're going back and you're talking to your, your younger self, when your child was five, right? When your daughter was five, Mm -hmm. what would you, now that you have hindsight and you know her now that she's older, what would you say? Like, how, how would you tell your own self to kind of keep sane? Good question. One of the things I did was during her childhood, when she would cry or something would be wrong, I couldn't deal with it. I would feel so much pain in that. And I would try to say, oh, no, no, honey, don't cry. It's okay. You you know, we can do this. It's not that bad. You know, that kind of thing. And I realized what I needed to do is just let her cry and have her emotions. And I think Mm. that that didn't help throughout those impossible years. And, and, you know, she was impossible, but my issue was I couldn't deal with her pain. So anytime she cried or showed emotion or had real pain, then it was overwhelming for me and I couldn't handle it. And I tried to stop it. No, 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 don't cry. Don't cry because I couldn't handle it. So going back, what I would say to my own self is, let cry. It's okay. Let her cry. Just be there for her in the tears. And, you know, you're never too old. You can teach old moms too. That's what I do now. And when my adult daughter comes to me and she talks to me about something that's really sad and she starts to cry and I recognize myself that my heart is just grieving and hurting for her. But I say to myself, let her have her sadness. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to tell her to stop crying. Just let her cry. Let her have her emotions. And that's one thing I wish I would have done differently in my parenting. 
The new book is called The Impossible Kid, Parenting a Strong-Willed Child with Love and Grace. I'm talking to author Lucille Williams. Lucille, what about um, those difficult... Yeah, I have two daughters. I have one who's Mm -hmm. 23 and one who's 19. And in my head, when they were little, like if I I thought if I got them to five, if I got them to like the start of school, (laughs) then my work was pretty much done. That's what I thought. Now, of course, I realized Mm -hmm. once they were five and they were in school, that that was ridiculous. Um, But then I kind of thought that maybe when they got to like sixth grade, then my job was kind of done. And it wasn't until my kids were like in fifth grade that I thought, well, you know, I, I clearly had no idea what parenting was about because in, um, in our family dynamic, the single most important time that I had with my kids, well, I don't, I don't know how to say it. I don't know if it's the single most important, but it seemed to have the most effect is when my husband mm-hmm. and I spent time, when time with my kids when they were in high school. And that was never anything I expected when I had little kids. Yes, I agree. I feel like the high school years, we need to lean in even more. And the more they're trying to push you away, I feel like the more you need to lean in and be present. And I think we just need to be present in a different way during those years. Because, come on, every parent knows when they walk out of the house or go to school, they're going to do what they want to do. I mean, you can tell them, don't do this, don't do that and everything, but they're still going to make decisions without you. And they're older, and those decisions have greater weight to them. And and I think they really want, I think teenagers really want their parents present. I know that I've worked with teenagers before, and I'll ask them, do you want to spend more time with your parents? And Every single child across the board will say, yes, I would like to spend more time with my parents. Huh. Now, most parents, if you told them that you were asking their kids that, they'd say, oh, well, I know what my kids are going to say, and they're going to say no. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what it is is they don't want lecture time. They don't want time where you're going, well, why did you do that? You shouldn't do that. Or how come you didn't do your homework? What's happening here? You know, they don't want to be grilled. They don't want to be lectured. They just want love and time. They just want you to be present. They want you to listen. And they want to just be able to have a place that's safe, that they can just be who they are and talk about what's on their heart. Yeah, that's really different than sitting down and giving like some kind of didactic presentation, right? I don't think it's probably going to be received very well. Mm-mm. And uh, of course we say that in this instance and we think that's so obvious, but when you're in the moment, it's actually hard to remember that. You actually think, well, I need to like be able to express these things. I need to say this is the way that it should happen and things should go. And you just, sometimes you just need to shut it. Yes, absolutely. Like, like, oh, one of my big mom fails, my daughter's first day of high school. I'm in the, I'm in the driveway She's walking up to the car, and I'm thinking, oh, she looks so pretty. I'm just so proud of her. She gets in the car. She sits down. Her shirt comes up a little bit, and I see the whole side of her body. And I'm like, ah, it's her skin. And, you know, and I let my fears take over. <laughs> I right. didn't have time for her to go back in the house. And so we're driving to school, and I'm like, why did you wear that? And brother, we're going back and forth. Mom, it's not that bad, and da-da-da. So she gets out of the car and I'm like, bye, honey, have a good day. I love you. And I'm like, yeah, but good mom left when I, you know, when I called her a name, I'm like, you look, and I'm not even going to tell you what I said because I'm embarrassed, although it is in the book. So when she got to school, she asked some friends, you know, how do I look? Am I okay? And they're like, oh, you look great, Monica. And she's like, oh, okay. But then when I got home, I'm like, what a jerk I am. 
I had fear. I had fear about her going to high yeah. school, about the boys noticing right. her, about all of those things that come along with that. And I let my fear take over. Yes. And, and so, yes. It's, yeah, and I had to apologize for that. That was wrong. Okay, I mean, so, I yeah. That so way. that is really good. So that was really about you and not about her, yes. right? And I have, yes. I have experienced that a thousand times. And you said something I think is so important that you apologize to her. Mm-hmm. I did apologize to my kids, all three of them, throughout their childhood. Every once in a while, I just sit them down and yep. say, okay, has mommy hurt you in any way? Tell me how I've hurt you. And then they would tell me. Um, you know, luckily, they, they weren't brutal. My kids were pretty kind to me in that regard because they knew I meant it. And then they'd yeah. say, well, mom, when this happened, that really hurt my feelings. And sometimes I would cry. I would feel so bad. And I remember one of my boys looked at me at the time and said, mom, it's okay. Nobody's perfect. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, I'll never oh, forget that. It seriously, Lucille, that must have been so gratifying to feel like, oh, my gosh. So I'm known by my kids, and I'm forgiven by my kids. Yes, yes. And I think we, in turn, need to forgive our kids, too. When we forgive them and we're yeah. like, okay, this happened, it's okay, I love you anyway, what do you need me to do, to do now? How can I help you in this? Rather than, you know, when our kids make a mistake or they come to them and go, Mom, I did this, some parents just kind of, you know, freak out because the fear factor comes up. But if we hold that down and say, okay, well, I love you, you can see that they feel remorseful. You know, you don't need to ground them or anything because they're already beating themselves up, you know, and then you just say, okay, I love you. And my husband and I would say, okay, how can we help you? What do you need from us now and how can we help you in this? Yeah. That is really good. Uh, the new book is called The Impossible Kid, Parenting a Strong-Willed Child with Love and Grace. Lucille Williams is the author. Lucille, it's been a great time. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that is really good. I'm telling you, kids can be impossible. But you know what? Parents can be impossible, too. It's just the whole parenting thing. It's just really hard. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Metropolitan Opera. It is back in New York City after 18 months of a pandemic pause. Plus, I'll talk to Christy about Supernatural Day. To be or not to be. If that's your pest question, get the help you need at boozebugstoppers.com. Booze respects bees until they become a stinging problem for homeowners. Boo and his Bug Stoppers team can safely remove wasps, hornets, carpenter, and ground bees with no long-term contracts and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Get a free quote today when it comes to getting the buzz on bees who are you gonna call booze bug stoppers at boozebugstoppers.com liberty mutual insurance company presents and doug and we're back with limu emu and doug for the final question category is things you climb all right limu what do you think you sure we're going with Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need. Oh, so close. We were looking for stairs. Huh. Only pay for what you need. Liberty, 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 Liberty. When it comes to your child's education, consistency is key. And in a world that's been anything but, parents have found an unshakable educational partner in Eden Christian Academy. 
where students experience an engaging, rock-solid Christian education at each of their three North Hills campuses, enabling them to thrive academically, spiritually, and socially. Take a tour during Admissions Week beginning October 18th and see what a consistent, quality pre-K through 12th grade education can offer your child at EdenChristianAcademy.org. With today's technology, anyone can take a video, but getting it ready for prime time, that's something many churches aren't equipped to handle. Here at Salem Video, we offer churches everything they need to go from rough cut to picture lock. With your raw footage, we can produce great looking videos for your social media, podcasts, website, and even live service element. From text animation, visual effects, transitions, logos, music, and more, here's where we put it all together. What can Salem Video do for you? Ask GM Brad Marshall at 412-503-4770. This Friday, Latshaw Productions presents six-time Grammy Award winner, Amy Grant. Amy Grant, 7.30 p.m. live at the Palace Theater Greensburg. Singing her most beloved songs from favorite classic hits to crossover favorites. Amy Grant, this Friday. Tickets on sale now at the Palace Theater box office or at thepalacetheater.org. Nobody should have to pay for one-size-fits-all insurance coverage. Liberty Mutual customizes your car and home insurance so you only pay for what you need. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Why doing it right, roofing, siding, and remodeling? As an Owens Corning Roofing Platinum Preferred Contractor, it's simple. It's in their name. They're doing it right, and it's what you'd expect as a homeowner and what they intend to deliver. Call 724-NEW-ROOF. Want it done right? Call doing it right. The opening night for the Metropolitan Opera in New York City is the marker of the start of New York's social season. And even though we're in uh, Pittsburgh, this is something that affects everybody in the United States, simply because New York is such a gigantic city that just matters a lot to people all around the nation. Anyway, um, it was a big night on Saturday because even before the first note, there was a pair of standing ovations, one when the chorus filled in and another when concertmaster Benjamin Bowman walked up to tune in the orchestra. This is uh, Ronald Bloom's article from the Associated Press today. About 90 minutes later, the 3,600 people filling the seats of the Metropolitan Opera House responded with eight and a half minutes of thunderous applause, bringing wide smiles and hints of tears to the 200-plus performers on stage. Because for the first time in 550 days, an audience was inside the auditorium at Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts on Saturday night. Attending a poignant performance of the Verdi Requiem, the night was in commemoration of the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terror attacks. Anyway, really lovely story by the AP today. And uh, it just kind of brings to mind the fact that we miss being together. We miss being out with people and we miss hearing and seeing beautiful things. And so I'm thrilled for all the people in New York that were able to be there for that. And for all of us who look forward to a theater season or going to hear the symphony or, you know, my husband's a musician, just going out and hearing him on a Saturday night. I mean, these are just things that a lot of us haven't done for a long time. And so having that back, I don't know. It just breathes life into life for me. Uh, that's what the arts does. Now, I'm talking kind of a high form of art when we're talking opera. I'm going to bring it way down, way down in the level of art because it's Supernatural Day. Now, Christy, I'm bringing you into this conversation, Christy Stockdill, a producer, because um, Supernatural Day is based on the TV show. Okay. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you've watched said TV show. I have watched it. Yeah, TV show. it's something, isn't it? It is. I mean, it like... 
there aren't very many shows that could start off talking about the Verdi Requiem at the Metropolitan Opera and end up talking about Supernatural because it's probably one of the worst TV shows in history. It has to be. Don't you think it is? It, it's just, it should have ended after like season three. Well, I was going to say five. How many seasons was it on? I think nine. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. So, it, and death meant nothing. No. So if you died, people were it's coming fine. back. There were like angels. There were demons. Was Satan on there? Yeah. Was that, okay, yeah. great. That's good. Um, I mean, so when you were, how old you started watching Supernatural? Oh, I had to be a... This is horrible. I don't even know if my mom knows I was watching this. I had to be like fourth or fifth that's, grade. Okay, that's why I'm asking. Because I remember when my daughter started watching it, I was like, what is go? What are we watching in our house? Okay, so did you watch it on your own or with your siblings? On my own or if I was over a friend's house. I bet your mom was not happy. She pro- I don't even know if she knows. If she's listening, I apologize. Mom. What's your mom's name? Teresa. Teresa. I think that um, Christy's sorry. So for watching sorry. not just a show about like ridiculous supernatural things that have no basis in reality or the Bible or anything or anything that makes even sense. Right. And the second thing is that she watched something that was so dumb because <laughs> it's so dumb. It's the worst. Anyway, so happy that you were along for today's program. If you missed any of uh, what unfolded over the last two hours, uh, find our podcast, The Ride Home with John and Kathy. Wherever you find your podcast, you can also watch the show on YouTube, The Word Pittsburgh. Leave your commentary, say hi, leave your notes, whatever. Have a terrific night, Pittsburgh. See you back here tomorrow. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group.